0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Southeastern 14. I am Blaine Gilmer, and this is just another example of a plethora of SEC-related content we're bringing you, not only football. we got basketball, baseball, everything, but it is all about football season right now. And each and every Friday on Southeastern 14, you can find our guest. This is episode four. We're rocking and rolling right now. Jake Crane of Crane & Co. on the Daily Wire. Man, Jake, I can't believe we're already here week two. We were talking preseason just a couple weeks ago, and now it's rocking and rolling, and, and we're about to get in the thick of this thing before we know it.
1: Well it's it's amazing how fast it goes right like we wait and we wait and we wait and it finally gets here and then it goes a million miles an hour we got some great matchups this week uh, we've already had some really good football played early a lot of storylines but now man I'm excited uh, this is a big one
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we are going to be talking about several different things on the takes. And, and man, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, couldn't be some bigger games in week two, but I want to just hit that rewind button a little bit and go back. And I want to, our first topic here, I want to get your biggest takeaways from week one of SEC football. Like, you know, whether it was a, a certain position group or a couple of teams or what, what overall were your biggest takeaways from week one of SEC action?
1: Well, you know, obviously starting with LSU, the the way they kind of you know reverted back to early twenty twenty two LSU, where they weren't throwing the ball down the field, it it blew my mind because they were killing them on the comebacks. Uh, You know, you watched Malik Neighbors early in that game. uh, Every every really every receiver that was on the outside, Florida State was giving them a little bit of cushion. And they didn't run a double move, really, until the last drive of the game when the game was already over and you hit a big play at the end. So uh, that surprised me. Overall getting dominated physically when Florida State decided they wanted to take LSU to the deep end of the pool and see who could tread water the longest. uh, LSU, instead of embracing that, instead of matching that physicality, kind of shied away from it. Uh, You know, when you look at the quarterbacks, that's been kind of one of the biggest questions when you look at the SEC. I thought Joe Milton was good. He's still got to be tighter when it comes to the throws. He's going to be challenged more even though I thought Virginia put up a pretty good fight defensively uh, but can Joe Milton make those throws on third and eight the ones they're going to have to make to win the type of games that they expect to win um, that, that's one of the biggest questions uh, you know you look at Auburn they handle business when it comes to Jalen Milroe, uh, and, and Alabama, you know, guys were running wide open, kind of similar to what we saw in some of the games against lesser opponents. Uh, can he make those tight throws like we're talking about with Joe Milton? Uh, and then, you know, South Carolina on the offensive line, something I talked about, we talked about on here, was a big problem uh, that we thought, not, not only on the offensive line, but on the defensive line in the trenches, and that really reared its head. You give up nine sacks to a North Carolina team that had 17 sacks the year before, and unlike LSU, I don't know how fixable that problem is. So, there's a lot of questions in Columbia. Uh, so, yeah, you know, looking at the SEC, you did lose to, to North Carolina. Uh, obviously, you lost to Florida State. Uh, the ACC kind of has a little bit of bragging rights right now when you look at w- kind of through the conference, but AM goes down to Miami in a big game. We talked about it today on Crane and Company. I think this could be a program changing win, a springboard Man. win for either Texas AM or Miami going through the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, I've referred to it all off season as the desperation bowl because mm-hmm. both programs really need this thing as that launching point. Like you said, um, I thought on your show, your host uh, David co-host David Cohn made it brought a good point up. He goes, "Well, I guess you could say the ACC's got some bra- bragging rights, but the ACC still has all the championships." So, so yeah. So look,
1: that- I mean, uh, again, at the end of the day, it's. It, The ACC's won a couple. You get a couple opportunities. Vandy going to Wake Forest. I like Wake Forest in that game. But let's make no mistake, at the end of the day, the SEC is still king. Uh, South Carolina isn't a top-shelf SEC team. LSU, I believe, still is. I wouldn't hit the panic button yet. If I was an LSU fan, I think it shows you how good Florida State really is. I mean, you saw Clemson lose uh, in a very wonky fashion at duke uh duke had to catch a lot of breaks and they caught him but yeah let's let's not put the card ahead of the horse here the sec is king kong they are godzilla they are that big moth monster that you see in all those those movies uh let's let's not get too crazy
0: and before we move on to our second point i wanted to you touched a little bit on on texas a&m and them going to miami but Mm -hmm. week one i mean the Bobby Petrino effect, and that combination with Connor Wigman, and the emergence of Noah Thomas, a six foot four, two hundred pound sophomore, three tutties on the day, going up, and they were taking shots down the field. If that is anywhere close to what we're going to see out of this Texas A&M offense, with what they have on the athletic, you know, capabilities and that talent that they have stockpiled on the defensive side, my goodness, Jake, uh, what what are your thoughts on A&M going forward?
1: Well, look—we've all watched A&M, and even against lesser opponents, it, it felt like they had to force everything offensively. It never went smooth. It never went crisp a and m 's top 25 in the country in pace. I think Bobby Petrino's made that offense fun. Uh, I, I think he's got it more organized. Uh, the guys looked looser playing now we've talked about the line of scrimmage texas A and m on the offensive line and the defensive line I think are better than what people think. You know I predicted A and M to go nine and three, and, and some people kind of looked at me sideways and I'm big on Connor Wegman uh, and, and again, I know it's New Mexico. But if you have watched A&M, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Everything was flowing. They didn't really have to use the tight end passing game, which I think you're going to see more of that against Miami this coming week. But uh, Connor Wegman's a guy we were very high on going into the year. I think he has a chance to be a star in college football. He goes out there. He's efficient. He makes good decisions. He's got enough wiggle to keep you honest on defense and extend plays, not only inside the pocket, moving up and moving laterally, but outside of the pocket and keeping his eyes downfield. So A&M, to me, Looked as good as they've looked in a while. Uh, this is a big test against Miami, but I like AM in the game. Uh, I, I think Miami's you know more of what Mario Cristobal wants. They're young and talented up front. They ran for 250 against a Miami-Ohio team that we know is not exactly the steel curtain on defense, but you mix that with Restrepo. Tyler Van Dyke looked healthy, and I think Miami's got a really underrated defense in college football this year. But looking at AM, we know the talent is there. I think they trimmed some of the fat, I think their coaching staff is in the best place it's been in a while. And don't be shocked if AM goes down there and puts on a show. Yeah,
0: I agree too. I mean, Anaya Smith being back is huge for them. And like you mentioned, Connor Weeman has an element of the quarterback run game. And and oh, by the way, Bobby Petrino will run some, he'll run some quarterback power now. He'll run some power read. He'll do that yep. kind of stuff. So I'm excited to see that element of it come come about too.
1: No, without a doubt. And people forget, you know, Evan Stewart. Uh, was suspended for this game last year. Restrepo didn't play for Miami. He's their best receiver, a guy that plays slot over there. But no, look, Bobby Petrino, his bag's deeper than Santa Claus, and he's not afraid to reach in there uh, and and manipulate safeties. He's not afraid to reach in there and take advantage of the quarterback run game. Uh, I think what Bobby Petrino does better than just about anybody, is calling plays to set up other plays. I mean, there's more guys running wide open in a Bobby Petrino offense down the field than in a lot of other offenses because he's not calling the play for the play to hit just then. He's calling the play for the play to hit three plays from, uh, from when he calls it. So, again, I love the mix of Jimbo Fisher, Connor Wegman, and Bobby Petrino. I think AM is going to have a really good season this year. We talked about this before the season kicked off, and I think 2024 they have a chance to make the playoff. Yeah,
0: that's a, that's a big deal, especially with his band and all that kind of stuff. So, good stuff there. But the game of the week where college game day is going to be, where, where all the eyeballs are going to be, are down in Tuscaloosa and where Texas is going to be coming to Alabama after that just thrilling game they had last year, one-point victory for the Tide in Austin. Now uh, with the burnt orange coming in, to take on those crimson clad Tuscalinians over there. Just they're going to be rabid over there in, in Bryant Denny because you know that they're jazzed up for this one after, you know, having not the best treatment maybe from Texas. they there's still a little, a little revenge on their minds. So they're they're going to test uh, uh, Texas's altitude sickness, Jay. They're going to put those guys way up in the nosebleeds, those fans that are coming up there. So they've got that that set up.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. Well, you know, thank goodness for Texas. None of those fans have to take a snap or make a tackle. Uh, you know, when I look at this game, it's a game I picked Texas to win in the off season. and and it's easy to pick Bama right now. And and I understand it's probably it's definitely the safer pick. Uh, you know, Bama looked pretty about as good as they could look against Middle Tennessee State. Now I think the question's still out on Jalen Milroe. I don't think he's going to be able to drop the ball and pick it up and dust it off and and read a third of a Harry Potter book and then take off for 70 and score a touchdown against this Texas defense. So I'm going to stick with Texas here. Uh, You know, I think these are the type games that Quinn Ewers is built for. We saw what he did. The biggest question is, will a Texas quarterback make it four quarters against an Alabama team? Because if he doesn't, then, you know, I like Malik Murphy and, you know, Arch Manning's got a really bright future, but they're in a lot of trouble. You know what, I think uh, I'm very interested to see, and, and I know Malachi Moore and Jalen Key have both practiced this week, but if they're not at 100% with what Texas has at the skill position, and if you look at Texas's offensive line, they weren't great against Rice. I think they held a lot back. that They were pretty peanut butter and jelly against Rice, and, and I understand it. Uh, but I think this offensive line can hold up. I don't expect the run game to be dominant, and I know Quinn wasn't great down the field last week. But I just believe in Quinn Ewers, man. I, I do. I, I think this is going to be a game that does go back and forth. Uh, obviously, when you play at home, you know, we say you got a seven-point advantage uh, when you get off the bus. So Texas is already going to be fighting uphill. But at the end of the day, once the ball is snapped, you return five of your six best pass catchers. You added A.D. Mitchell, a guy that's not going to be afraid to play against Alabama. I know Kool-Aid's going to shut one guy down, uh, but you look at, at the tight end room that Texas has, you look at the, the skill position mixed with that offensive line, I think they can compete with them. But the biggest difference, I think, in Texas, and one of the reasons I had them making the playoff, is I think their defense is actually legitimate. Uh, I think they use the portal about as well as anybody on defense. They're very physical in that front seven you know, the, the joke against Texas is, oh, they're soft on defense. Uh, they're a Big 12 team. They don't want to play defense. They got some cats running around that are headbutt lockers and putting their hands on people. So I don't think they're going to go in this game and be afraid. Alabama's got great personnel. It's going to be tough for Sark to beat Saban, but I picked Texas in the offseason. Uh, I'm going to go with my gut, uh, and and I'm going to go with my instincts, and I'm going to take Texas 30-27 in this one.
0: So, but putting putting the pick aside, if you're looking at it from Alabama's side, and you're saying, okay, the keys to Alabama winning this ball game, if Alabama is going to go on and win this ball game, what do you think would make Alabama successful uh, against Texas on on Saturday?
1: They they need to hit Quinn early and often. I, I think Sark's going to try and protect him by running a lot of misdirection and play action to try and slow down Dallas Turner and that Alabama front. I don't know how much success Texas is going to have running the ball. Not that they won't be able to get yardage, but I don't think they'll be able to get chunk plays against this Alabama defense. If they're going to get chunk plays, which they have to have, they're going to have to do it through the passing game off play action. Waggles, boots, sprint outs on third and medium. But if you're Alabama and you're you're looking for a key, you hurt Quinn Ewers in this game last year. That's in the back of his mind. If you go and, and and you lay him out a couple times early, I think he's going to be a little bit gun shy to push the ball down the field or stay in the pocket and deliver the pill because Alabama's got some absolute aliens running around the field on defense. I mean, offense too. Look at that offensive line; they're straight out of you know Mordor when you look at it. Uh, but they need to they they need to get physical with Quinn Ewers early. You know, in between the whistle uh, and and legally, don't give Texas any extra downs. Don't give many extra pitches. Uh, but I think if they get to Quinn early, it'll bother him late, and I think it could lead to some turnovers and maybe the turnover that ices the game.
0: Yeah, and defensively, I went back and I watched the 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 end zone copy of Texas versus Rice, and I'm I'm watching the all, all twenty two, and I just saw consistently Texas just lining up in a regular just over front four, three, you know, nothing, nothing crazy. I think you'll probably see them try to maybe mix some things up a little bit, try to confuse like Caden Proctor's a freshman for Alabama uh, at left tackle. Um, You know, big, talented, of course, but Hey, a freshman playing left tackle in a high-profile game like this, that's that's going to be something that you know Texas' defense is going to try to dial up a little bit. Ethan Burke had a couple of uh, uh, sacks in that game versus Rice. You know, you got Sweat in the middle that that is going to try to uh, handle, you know, doubt, uh, Dow Court struggled a little bit some. Seth McLaughlin had two – McLaughlin had two low snaps in that game, to your point, you know, have, uh, mm-hmm. Milrow having to pick the ball up and all that kind of stuff. I just think Alabama's got to play clean. You know, they, they if yeah. Milrow can avoid turning the ball over, not just, just keep it within the buoys, you know, of Tommy Reese's thing, I think maybe they can be a little bit more physical uh, to, to start off with. That's what they want to do. So that's what I want to see out of Alabama there. So good stuff with a big, big matchup down there in Tuscaloosa this week. Now, Jake, um, we talked a little bit about the Texas a and Miami game, but there's also another game that I'm not going to make it, you know, a full take. I just want a quick synopsis on Ole Miss, who absolutely just beat Mercer senseless like they should have last week, looked really, really good doing it, Trey Harris. But they're going down to New Orleans and facing a two-lane team that is no joke and has Michael Pratt at quarterback. What, just real quickly on that, what do you think about um, Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, Jackson Dart, all the qu- Quinshaw Judkins, all the crew going down and facing mm-hmm. a very uh, well-coached team in two-lane, Willie Fritz, at the, at the helm there?
1: Yeah, I don't think they're they're super excited at the athletic director at Ole Miss for having to schedule this game and go down there and play lane. It seems like Ole Miss is the only SEC team that'll do it. Uh, you know, quickly, when I look at this game, uh, Mercer's a, a top 20 FCS team. I mean, this isn't, you know, Becky the Icebox and, and the little Giants that they played in that first game, and, you know, they ran through them like a finish line thought Jackson was very clean. Uh, he's going to take a step up in competition. The problem that Tulane has is they can't stop the run. And if you can't stop the run against Lane Kiffin, there's a common misconception about some coaches out there that are offensive-oriented, like Lane Kiffin and Lincoln Riley, that they just want to throw the ball around. No, they want to run reliable. the ball. Yeah, they, they, they want to run the ball. It's exactly right. They want to run the ball to set up the pass. And we know Quinshon Junkins. We know the offensive line that Ole Miss has. And if Tulane can't stop the run, Lane Kiffin's going to throw a Dr. Seuss book at him on offense, and it's going to be you know all type of green eggs and ham, and the cat in the hat, and one fish, two fish. Hey, we just scored another touchdown. So I like Michael Pratt. Uh, I like Tulane's offensive line. Uh, I think Ole Miss's defense is a little bit better than what people are going to give him credit for. Uh, but I think Ole Miss covers in this game. I, I think they go down and handle business because I don't think Tulane can stop them. And Lane, he's like Matthew McConaughey on sorority row when he was younger. He's not going to stop scoring until you drag him off.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I do think if you're looking at something here bet-wise, you might want to look at the over because I think Tulane's yeah. going to get their points too. I think Michael Pratt is good. And I don't he know is. about that secondary that, that uh, you know, Pete Golden has brought in guys from three or four transfer guys, and and listen, they didn't get tested against Mercer, so it's going to be their first time really communicating, making sure they don't have any busts and things like that. And and uh, you know, with Johnson and Keys at receiver over there for Tulane, I think you know they could hit some big plays on Ole Miss, but you know that may be a thing I would look at as the over.
1: No, without a doubt, I I think it's a good play. I I like I like the over. I like Ole Miss. To cover, I'd probably buy it down to six and a half, and maybe parlay it with the over. Uh, the biggest question for Michael Pratt was unbelievably efficient last week, went fourteen to fifteen. Uh, my question is, when I look at Tulane again, their offensive line—they return a lot of guys. Uh, I, I think they have an above-average offensive line, even at the at the higher levels of the FBS. But I think Pete Golding—he's going to reach down in his bag. There's no Tigers on the field, but he's going to get a little bit Joe Exotic with the blitz packages, try and force a couple turnovers. And once Ole Miss gets out in front of you, that's the thing. Tulane cannot cannot get in the habit of playing catch-up in this game. Just sitting the sitting a hot dog.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. All right, K.J. Jefferson and Dan Enos' system. I know it was Western Carolina. I know, listen, Western Carolina is an FCS team that has only won 11 games in the last three years, okay? Not a great program. But I was encouraged, and I want to get your take on. It. I was encouraged to see footwork, release, ball placement, command of a pro style system, not Kendall Brow's, you know, system. All this stuff that Danny Knows and KJ Jefferson. I mean, what were your thoughts on that that performance week one by the the who many people are saying is the best QB in the SEC, KJ Jefferson?
1: Yeah, well, I love the tandem of K.J. Jefferson and Rocket Sanders. I know Rocket Sanders is out for a couple weeks, uh, but I think they need to get him healthy before they go down to LSU. They'll handle business this weekend against Kent State, Then they play a BYU team that I think is very overrated. They struggled with Sam Houston State. I think Arkansas will be fine there. But, you know, they had a lot of transfers in from lower levels at wide receiver. The guys were very efficient. K.J. started out hitting his first 12 passes, I believe. They seem very in sync, and and one of the biggest questions – You know about Arkansas outside of depth especially on the defensive side, is in this new system, will they protect K.J. Jefferson a little bit more? And that's not protecting him from himself. You know, he's going to break tackles and run around and take off. And, and you know, on fourth and one and third and one, you got to put the, the ball in your best player's hands. It's something that we talked about when we, we sat down with Sam Pittman at SEC Media Days. But it's the design quarterback runs. It's trying to keep K.J. out of harm's way as much as possible because the one knock on K.J., I know he's built like the Eiffel Tower, but he hasn't made it through a whole season yet. Being healthy without having to miss time. I think Dan Enos understands that. I think that's something that Sam Pittman understands. And I'll tell you what, when I watched that game, I know it's Western Carolina. You basically threw a daycare out uh, at Arkansas, but watching their defense run around, watching the physicality yeah. of that defense, I really liked what I saw. We projected Arkansas to go nine and three. I believe in that. Uh, if Rocket can get healthy, I'm telling you, this team's, I, I think this is the year where they get to that nine win mark and people kind of get off Sam Pittman's back a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was just thoroughly impressed. You mentioned uh, protecting him. One thing, one thing they didn't protect him on, and I saw you tweeted out the the, oh, the yeah. clip of this. They didn't protect him from that safety blitz. A safety got a 10-yard head start just running full speed at KJ and just absolutely bounced you, right you off You know what of it that. looked like, was,
1: Blaine? It looked like when they had those mascot games against the little kids. Like, that's what it looked like. That that poor senator's son from Western Carolina that starting safety went. And, look, it was horrible form. You didn't wrap up. I don't think it would have helped. I mean, it was like a bug hitting the windshield. It just shows you the difference in the type of players in that game. But, uh, yeah, that, that kid from Western Carolina, he's not the first person to hit K.J. Jefferson and slide down the window, and he won't be the last. No doubt.
0: And the other thing I wanted to point out, I, I did a kind of breakdown on that game I pointed out 7.45 to go, third quarter. It's a third. It's like a third and eight, okay? Arkansas has the ball, and they go a two-by-two two set, and into the boundary, they run a little curl route over here into the boundary and a dig behind it. So by the time the dig comes around, Western Carolina took the jack linebacker that was the stand-up end backer, whatever you want to call him, to the boundary, and they dropped him out in a zone covered right underneath that dig. KJ had the presence of mind and also had the experience to feel that come underneath and he layered that right over that dropper and in front of a nickel who had dropped into coverage on the other side that's the kind of stuff that I see out of KJ Jefferson that I think Joe Milton tries to throw that ball through that freaking Jack mm-hmm. linebacker and, and KJ is able to layer it. That's what I'm impressed with yeah. right now with well, well,
1: listen, you, you can't always be Jackson Pollock. Sometimes you got to be Bob Ross. And, and that's why it's yeah. called passing and not throwing. There's nuance to it. Right. If it was just about who could throw it the furthest and who could throw it the hardest, uh, then then that'd be a different story. But that's not what playing quarterback is. That's not what passing is. There's a reason uh, that that guys who may not throw the ball 100 miles per hour are able to play a long time, you know, in in the NFL. You see the same thing in Major League Baseball. You know, you can be Randy Johnson. You can be Greg Maddox. There's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. But when you have all those tools at your disposal, it makes you a complete player. And that comes with experience. Right. But. That's a hard trait to learn. You know, Mike Leach said you're either born being accurate with feel or you're not. Some guys can get a little bit better. But KJ, from when he started to where he is right now, at least early in this year, he's really made a big step, and that's through hard work, that's through chemistry, and that's through understanding that there are parts of your game, regardless of how many people pat you on the back, how many people tell you how great you are, that you need to improve. I think that's a credit to that young man and and his ability to be able to grow as a passer.
0: No doubt, no doubt. And one last little bonus topic I wanted to talk about here is kind of these coaches, these sec coaches with the media, I'm seeing an interesting trend here. You know, you've had for a while the angst with between Saban and the media, the angst between Kirby and the media. I put out a a video today here on the channel, Kirby 2.0, where he is just coming out. and, And now that he's won two national titles, he just comes out and he says, listen, guys, I'm not going to hide anything from him. If we've got somebody hurt, I'm going to tell you they're hurt. In fact, he said he was in favor of going to an NFL style of reporting injuries. You know, uh, people ask him this question because of, you know, the thing that happened with Iowa and Iowa state players involved in gambling and all that stuff. But we see a much more transparent Kirby. We see at Auburn, Hugh freeze is very transparent. Even Nick Saban came out and apologized to a guy yesterday for, he's like, Hey, I was short with you on a question you asked about Jalen Miro. It wasn't a bad question. I think Miss Terry got to him a little bit, so he had to apologize there. But what's your thoughts on, are these guys just saying, Hey, this is just part of it. Are they just loosening up a little bit around and not trying to have as much of an adversarial deal?
1: Well, well, if you look, I think we're kind of in a new age. You look at some of these younger coaches; the way they embrace social media, the way they embrace the media, uh, it's it's kind of it's popular. Look, this is all about recruiting at the end of the day. I know people say, "What do you mean? How's this about recruiting?" But it makes you come off as a lot more genuine. Now, look, every circumstance is different. Kirby's won two national championships in a row. You know, being more transparent. He can be however he wants to. If he wants to be less transparent, he can be less transparent. More transparent, he can be more transparent. Uh, but I think they realize that the media can be an ally. And there's no reason to go out of your way to be disingenuous to people in the media, because at the end of the day, the media does shape a lot of narratives. I mean, we see it in all walks of life now. So I think that's just kind of a changing of the time a little bit. Uh, guys aren't as rough around the edges and, and kind of realize, hey, Maybe I can make these guys a little bit of an ally that can help me out when it's not going so good as opposed to just trying to be the big bad dog on the block. Oh, I don't need to tell you. you're you the media, you know, I'm the coach, you know, this look, this in the junction boys, man. Like I, I just think it's kind of a new wave of, of thinking and look, it's smart, right? Well, the the best way to uh you know attract people is is with with honey, other than you know, the opposite, which I'm not gonna say on here. So I think it's a smart play. I don't think it's a coincidence that you're seeing all of it happen at once, especially with the top dogs.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. I I wonder I wonder if Kirby in the kind of the battle that you know Georgia had this offseason with the AJC, it almost being adversarial is maybe a, a thing of him saying, Hey, all right, let's let's try to reset some of this here. So some of that kind of stuff. But Jake, uh, excited that we've done four episodes now. Looking forward to next week. We'll of course recap all these games and and look forward to week three where we actually get some conference matchups coming up. Um, but tell everybody what you guys uh, have going on with Crane and Company. Are you guys doing anything over the over the weekend covering mm-hmm. games, all that kind of stuff, and where they can find it.
1: Oh, yeah, man. We'll, we'll obviously love coming on here, chopping it up with you. Uh, yeah, we just hit 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. Thanks, everybody, for going over there. If you haven't subscribed yet, it's Crane & Company, C-R-A-I-N & Company. Uh, go over there and check us out. We've got big previews, talking betting, talking NFL, all that great stuff. We have a Saturday special, too, kind of our own version of game day. We have former Georgia Tech head coach, Temple head coach Jeff Collins, so in the morning, if game day's change a little too much for you, head on over to and Company. We're going to drop that so you can check it out. Then Sunday morning, we have a college football recap uh, and an NFL preview now that the NFL season is upon us. So, look, we got everything covered, man, like a warm blanket in the wintertime. Come over and hang out with us.
0: Absolutely. And real quick, rapid fire, give me, give me some, of these, uh, some of these picks on these games outside the league. We talk about SEC. What's your gut feeling on Nebraska and Colorado?
1: Man, I, I low-key kind of like Nebraska in this game. Uh, I think with the new clock rule, they're going to sit on the ball a little bit. I think they're going to play a little bit of keep away. Uh, I'm wondering if the Colorado-TCU game was as much about Colorado, which they deserve a lot of credit, uh, or, as, or as, uh, if a lot of it had to do with TCU. Because remember who Sonny Dykes was before uh, they won nine games by one possession last week. So uh, I actually like the under in that game. But I like Nebraska plus three. If you can get him a plus three and a half, get him a plus three and a half.
0: Notre Dame at NC State
1: man I like Notre Dame I think NC States soft up front uh I think Notre Dame's gonna kind of treat him a little bit like they treated Navy Notre Dame's really good on the offensive line give me the Irish big
0: yeah I think so too Sam Hartman really man that's just a huge change and boy don't look now low-key Notre Dame could be a playoff threat with the way watch Ohio State I watch out I got him going right. 11 and one Blaine yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then the last one, I know you're a big Tanner Mordecai guy. He had a rough start uh, last last week, but Wisconsin going on the road to Washington State, that could be dangerous territory for Fickle and
1: Company. Man, it's scary. It's it's the conjuring scary, but I don't think Tanner's going to have two bad games in a row. And Braylon Allen is an absolute truck. And I mean, they got a bunch of those Siberian cave trolls up front. I think Washington State's probably going to scare them, uh, may scare them for a while. But at the end of the day, man, I, I really like Wisconsin. I like their personnel. Uh, give me the Badgers on the road.
0: Well, there you have it. We've covered SEC stuff. We've given you a little sprinkle outside the league as well. Crane & Co. over there. Crane & Company over on the Daily Wire jake crane you can follow him at jake crane underscore if you're listening on podcast you can follow me using at big gilmer 18 and follow southeastern 14 using at 14 southeastern we will have another episode of jake's takes here on southeastern 14 episode 5 next week next friday so like subscribe turn on notifications and we will catch everybody next time for more sec football coverage right here on southeastern 14 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>